and welcome back to another episode of In Check with Fintech. Today we have the pleasure to be joined by Bundan Jotsin, Business Unit Lead of Buy Now Pay Later at Riverty. Bundan is a product leader with a very international background, from traditional Indian financial service companies to building out Gojek's Fintech Business Unit in Indonesia, Singapore and Thailand, to Booking.com and now Riverty. He has seen different product cultures and took the best from all of them. On top of it, he educates aspiring product managers and everyone else on successful product management strategies by shedding light on the most interesting case studies on his Substack, Productify. Enjoy listening. So without further ado, Bandan, welcome to InShape with Fintech. Thanks, I'm Martin. Su- yes, I'm super happy to have you on board. Um, we've been in touch for quite a while now. We worked together to find you your current job. And I think many of our listeners um, know you not just from your professional work, but also from the work you do outside your Substack, Productify, and today I'm really happy to have you on board. How do you feel about podcasting, Bangan? Thanks, Martin, for bringing me on board uh, to this podcast. Really excited uh, for the for the listeners and the content we are going to talk about today. Uh, and obviously, uh, the theme that we have for today, product management, is something that you know for many years has been upcoming uh, and now also in stages of maturity. So. I'm excited to talk about the diversity of uh, different product management roles and my experiences along with it. Excited. Yes, great. Because that's exactly what I want to do, right? I want to shine a bit of a light on your personal, very international background in product management. What got you into it? What defines you today as a product manager? And of course, talk a bit about the products that you build along the way. And what I usually do on that, let's set it off with a few easy warm-up questions, right? Are you ready? Yes, let's go. Great. Pizza or pasta? Pizza, any day. <laughs> mountains or beach? Beach. With the family, uh, I used to love mountains when I was single, but after getting married, it's more beach now. <laughs> <laughs> Too exhausting to hike with the whole team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably... Now I'm one where I know the answer. I tea or tech? Tech. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> and now, what's the best professional compliment you ever got by now? Best professional compliment, I think it has been pretty consistent in all my experiences is probably my calmness and perseverance to situations and uh, I don't get too boggled by uh, tense situations. So that's that's pretty much uh, what everyone says about how I handle tense situations. So that's calmness, I would say. Yes, I get very calm every time you talk. So um, let's find our segue into your start of product management. How I like to do this is by the following question, Bandan. How would your parents describe what you do on a daily basis in your job? Yep, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they would say I sit in front of the laptop all day, but I'm sure there's a better answer uh, than that. Um, <laughs> so uh, to put it in simple layman words, I try to solve uh, people's problems to digital products and digital products can take multiple shapes. It can be, you know, what you have on your smartphones, uh, on your day-to-day hardware, software. So solving people's problems through digital uh, products. That's that's how I would explain it. Yes, and I'm pretty sure your parents uh, could do something with that. <laughs> and another, let's start at your humble beginnings, right? You've your educational background, right? You're like mm-hmm. top two percent of your class. Um, are you a hard worker or did things come easy to you? 
Yeah, so th- there's a thing about I think everyone who has grown up in India. So it's a it's it's hugely populated country right now. Uh, I think 1.3 billion people living in a single country. So there is certain amount of competitiveness uh, to anything you want to do, right? So you you want to get into a good school. There's probably thousands of people, uh, you know, trying to do the same or more. <laughs> or you want to get into a big university. There are millions of people trying to get into the same university, and so on and so forth. So there's there's some sense of com- competitiveness already built uh, in a country that big. Um, so I would say the first thing, the, the default is probably to just go and uh, do the hard work. Yeah, that's the default. Uh, that's expected uh, in in most of the uh, you know, uh, let's say. Uh, families and households uh, that are at a mid uh, salary levels that hey my child should go out and do the hard work right because every step on the way is it's going to be uh, competing against thousands and millions of people in the in in the same country so I think for me it was I always saw my father and mother doing the hard work um, and and now I don't appreciate uh, that a lot. It's also about working smart. But at that time, when I was a child and just growing up, it was always about, you know, slogging the number of hours I can put into studies, I can put into working classes and all of that. So it was all about hard work. That's how it started. So great after all. Um, Bandan, you spent your first nine years in India. And in that time, you moved into PM. It wasn't your first job, if I'm not mistaken. How right. how did one how did you move mm. to Pierre? Yep, it's an interesting story that goes through a couple of twists and turns. So I'll take some time to explain that. Uh, so it all started with my first job uh, as right out of right out of undergrad. Where so I graduated in electronics uh, and instrumentation as well as physics. So I had a, I had a dual degree program five years in total, uh, and I wanted to get into electronics right, which is like more of a hardware uh, job rather than software and when I landed my first job it was in National Instruments which is a US Texas based company uh, having its uh, presence in uh, globally in, in multiple countries and in India I joined them as an engineer uh, first year but the company realized that I was actually quite good talking to the customers uh, besides the technical skills uh, so actually, they moved me into sales after 11 months of me uh, actually coding and working on some of the applications. And that was sort of weird because I spent five years studying electronics and I go into an electronics company. That was almost like a dream come true. And in 11 months, they moved me to sales. And that that has, I mean, that's been one of the patterns I've seen across my career that I I get into something, but then I discover or company discovers or my peers discover that I'm actually good at uh, other things as well. And then, you know, some of these career changes have happened. So that's how I started in sales, actually. And I spent four years doing that role. Uh, So it was field sales, account management, territory management, handling big accounts. Uh, So I, I got quite good at talking to customers, maintaining relationships, traveling a lot across the country, meeting different uh, senior stakeholders. So I I think the sales experience till date, I count it as an asset rather than something that I would not want to do. I, I now feel everyone should try to do sales and all of us do sales in our career at, you know, uh, in whatever role we are. We are always trying to say, sell something, pitch something. So it, it's 
I, I consider that four years of experience uh, as an asset. Uh, once I did that for four years, I started feeling that the now is the time. I mean, typically, I think after four or five years in your career, everyone comes across this moment when they try to see, is this something I want to do all my life? Or is this, or should I pivot into something else now? Because I think four or five so years... wrong, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably in, in another 10 years. But <laughs> at, 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 at four years of experience, I thought if I continue doing this and, you know, I, I observed the market also, right? That if you start building a niche, then everyone starts uh, finding opportunities for you in that niche and you will automatically attract uh, similar opportunities. But I wanted to go back to my technical roots. Uh, that's how I would put it, right? Uh, now, at five years of experience, again, this is a big thing. Uh, you know, in India, I was I've, I I studied at uh, the top institute in India uh, doing my engineering, and everyone was doing MBA. All my peers, all my peers were doing MBAs, uh, working in these consulting companies and big tech uh, hubs. And that's where I felt that I probably, I was probably late in the game. Uh, I was already f four or five years working uh, out out there, but a lot of my peers were already going to MBA schools early enough. Uh, and that's when I decided to utilize a program uh, to pivot into product management. I actually want to get into tech, but product management is the closest you can get to tech after spending five years in sales. Uh, let me just put it that way. Yeah, uh, because your coding skills are probably rusty and uh, that's the best way to get uh, closer to tech. Uh, so I decided to do a, a one-year MBA program instead of a two-year MBA program, which is the norm uh, in India and wider South Asian comp uh, continent. I did a one-year MBA program uh, from, uh, again, it's a private institute, one of the best in India, where I pivoted to product management. So that was my first uh, successful using an academic program to move to where I want. I was actually quite selfish in that MBA program. A lot of people came there to, you know, just be open to all opportunities. I just wanted to get into product management. Uh, so, you know, we, we heard about all these dream jobs, you know, Googles and Facebooks and product management is this the next big thing. I'm talking about 2015. Uh, and that that has been my story, right? So if if you look at it, it's it's been good four years of sales. Then realizing I need to pivot, but how do I do that? And then I, I utilize the MBA program to get back to tech. Yeah, lovely. And I mean, you've been at rather traditional players at the beginning, right? In India. Uh -huh. And um, I mean, maybe you can tell me a bit about PM culture in India and then yep. how that has changed when you moved to Singapore. Yep. I mean, one thing about India, right, just for the wider context of the audience is that in South Asia, at least Indian tech uh, and of obviously like software development is uh, everyone knows globally that India has become a hub. But even when uh, coming down to startup scene, product management, India has been leading the way in South Asia, Southeast Asia as well. And I have seen influence of Indian product management culture in a lot of South uh, East Asian com uh, countries. So I've lived in Thailand. I uh, spent a lot of time in Indonesia and then in Singapore. There's a lot of influence of Indian product management culture in all these countries, right? So there's a lot of expats working in these countries, leading the companies, etc. So going back to the question, the Indian product management culture started directly from the startups, 
right? Uh, versus other countries where, you know, there was product management already existing. And then the startup scene came, you know, 2010 onwards. And then product managers became more tech savvy and they became more uh, uh, savvy about the markets and, uh, you know, expecting high salaries, etc. But but in India, the trend came a little late, 2014-15, uh, so about three to four years later than the rest of the Western world. And uh, when I started, I started in one of the big uh, banking institutions, financial institutions, which was a licensed uh, credit provider, one of, one of the top three in India. And it's actually, it was uh, a unique blend of traditional financial institution mindset, which we also see now after working here. I I've, I've see that in, in Germany and Netherlands, there's always this traditional banking mindset, right? On how you want to get work done. And for the very first time, these banking executives were starting to meet tech people uh, to do the jobs for them, right? Uh, which are two different worlds coming together. And that's what I saw in, in the first couple of uh, my uh, years after I got into product management. Uh, now there's digital way to do things. There are app ecosystems coming up to do uh, investments, to get uh, for lending, for payments. And it's not about, uh, you know, having physical branches, uh, which is the world where the banking executives were good at, but not in a non-physical branch world. And that's where the uh, the, the tech savvy youngsters were coming into the companies and changing half things were happening. So it was a lot of a cultural conflict as well uh, in going into these institutions. And that's what I faced. Uh, so for all these business leaders to be successful, they wanted uh, the latest technologies to be out in the market to show that uh, they are uh, basically ahead of the game. And a lot of pressure was on the youngsters who were coming in into these product roles. To, to showcase and to be to run basically with their uh, thought process. So, I mean, I, I would sum up my first couple of years in a financial institution as a product manager, as balancing act between the old world and the new world, uh, and also bringing uh, new tech into banking, which is highly regulated. Uh, and it's tough to get new tech into banking uh, rather than, you know, getting into a food delivery company or let's say uh, uh, an Uber or a Lyft, right? So it, it's it's a very different world. Uh, to because you make. build on legacy systems or and you don't have this green field or why is it difficult? I would say uh, it's a combination of building on legacy systems for sure. And that's a consistent problem being faced across the globe now that I've seen a number of companies and systems. But also secondly, uh, there is a bit of a mindset in, in uh, you know, old financial institutions that have been there for, you know, multiple decades to outsource tech. And that's what you call IT, right? Uh, you have legacy systems and then you get someone from outside the company to do the, uh, uh, the software coding uh, work uh, for you. And you think of everything as man hours. You think of everything as this is the project. Just give it to someone you get a timeline and then you get it delivered, right? That's that's the typical IT mindset uh, to outsource uh, the work to someone. And then the complications that happen because of that is that you never own the customer experience in-house, which is a challenge. So as a product manager, for me, I was working inside the uh, institution, but I was working with software developers which were outsourced to a third party. Now, for me to actually influence product experience and customer experience, 
I had to convince them how they should test the software, how they should iterate on the software, etc. And then they would tell me legacy system cannot experiment, <laughs> cannot uh, change the code so fast. So just tell us the requirements, right? So I would say it's a combination of legacy systems and also a bit of too much outsourcing of IT or what you call tech now uh, to, to third party players. So that's, that's also a big uh, challenge. So you were basically a glorified requirement manager. Yes. Now, now when I look back, I think I, I would put it under things not to do as product manager. <laughs> <laughs> Good that we're always smart in hindsight. What happened yes. next, Mandan? Because now you're leaving India, right? And uh, I'm yes. super interested, number one, and hearing a bit about what made you take that step. And obviously, number two, which kind of product did you decide to now work on? Hopefully, in mm. less requirement yep. managing way. Yep, yep. And, and, and you know what, Morton, that was exactly what I was looking out for. I was less interested in where I want to work as in geographically. I was more interested in where is the product culture good enough for me to get better as a product manager, right? Which is a great indicator for a successful career, by the way, yes. Yeah, that, and, and since, uh, I mean, we are talking about 2016 to 2019 now, uh, in these three years, I started almost academically started learning about product management, not only on my day job, but also uh, on my weekends and evenings, I would find out the best practices uh, for product managers, how to build the product site way and as such. So, you know, I, in my mind, I had a gap, what I used to read and see and what I used to do at my job, there was always a gap in terms of how you build things and what's the right culture. So I wanted to work at a company where, where the peers, uh, and my managers and everyone is doing uh, the product the right way. And that's where, uh, again, I was talking about the startup ecosystem, right? 2012, 13, a lot of big startups uh, started building uh, uh, big tech in, in Singapore, uh, India, Indonesia, uh, primarily leading the way these three countries. Uh, also, highly scalable products, uh, similar to India, Indonesia has 250 million population, just one country. And Singapore is the hub from where, you know, a lot of Southeast Asian startups start and then they uh, expand across uh, South Asia. For me to bridge the gap, I start looking out for companies that have good product culture. And uh, again, I was just bringing back the point about a lot of influence of product management from India going into these, these countries like Singapore and Indonesia. And I knew where are the best product leaders going? You sort of, you know, if you, if you're active enough on social media, LinkedIn, and you just keep your eyes and ears open, you can find out where are the best product uh, people going from, from this part of the world. And that's when I saw, uh, you know, th this is the time, uh, Uber had exited Southeast Asia because they could not make profits and they sold their business to one of the local, uh, Singapore companies, which is called Grab, uh, now, uh, and Gojek was a direct competitor to Grab. Both had equal valuations. And I saw a lot of good product leaders going to these two companies, Gojek and Grab uh, from, from India, uh, uh, along with uh, uh, local uh, product leaders. And that's when I decided that I want to get into either these two companies or equivalent uh, uh, good product companies. Uh, I also had a bit of an ambition to go into the big tech, the Googles and the Facebooks. But what I found out is that the work that Google PMs and Facebook PMs did 
was not so exciting in India, Singapore, Indonesia. A lot of good work was happening in the US with, let's say, back offices or some experiences being built uh, in in uh, South Asia. So it wasn't that exciting because it was not on the on the forefront. And that's how I uh, I I utilized my networking skills to reach out to one of the product leaders, uh, which was searching for a product manager. Again, uh, you know, so it was a lateral shift. Uh, I would say, you know, just from a position perspective, and he was searching for a product manager for building uh, uh, an ins- uh, a binopulated product uh, for the super app. So this is a binopulated product for uh, Gojek, which does transportation, which is going from location to location B. It does food delivery, it does movie tickets and whatnot. It had like 16 things in a single app. Uh, and building a binopulator for an app which does almost everything that you can think of on a daily basis was quite quite an exciting challenge in a good product culture company. And that's how eventually after a few interview rounds, I landed up at, uh, at Gojek. And probably my first successful entry into a great product culture company. Even till today, I utilize a lot of Gojek best practices in my day-to-day job as well. One of the top European tech conferences, ICT Spring, is coming back to Luxembourg on June 29th and the 30th. This year's main theme is Time for Change, highlighting the ever-changing digital world and how it is redesigning our businesses, work culture and life in the years to come. The event will focus on the ongoing changes within fintech, AI, cybersecurity, Web3 and much more. ICT Spring 2023 consists of two days of dance programs, an exhibition area, workshops, specific happenings and the ICT Spring party the first evening. Get 50% off your ticket by registering with our code PCN2350. And did you finish what you set out to do? And and at Gojek, that, that's where the story begins, right? So I, uh, I, I would say I learned more every six months than I did in the last two years at Gojek. And also, uh, I always say, right, uh, you, you need to surround yourself with, with smarter people. And I had a couple of great product and business thinkers with me. Uh, whom I still, you know, talk to, consult with uh, whenever I face uh, big organizational product challenges. And I, uh, the the extent to which you could go to solve a user problem, I saw it at Gojek. When you start building products and your customers have issues using your product, the company would do anything to bring down the customer complaints down to almost zero. It was mad infatuation with uh solving user problems although now i would realize so yes i did accomplish what i was set out to do uh which was learning the best product practices and we can go deeper into them if we need to but to me it gave me a free hand to solve user experience problems without worrying about uh you know the without worrying about the business impact of what I was doing. I mean, because as, at a product manager level, you're still not responsible for, you know, the PNL and the business impact. So you can just solve user problems, which is quite a good, uh, you know, safe space uh, to experiment and learn. Yeah, specifically in these times, I think not being busy with PNL shoots and FinTech is a safe space. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. Now I, now, now I can appreciate it, yeah. Yes, I can imagine. But that- we're speaking 2021 now, right? And um, then you're taking, geographically at least, the biggest step of your career, you're moving to Booking.com. Mm-hmm. And you just spoke about the American techs and how a lot yeah. of good work was done in the US. 
Mm-hmm. You are moving to Amsterdam now to work for an American tech company. Walk us through your thought process and obviously your experiences um, mm. on yeah that step in your experience at Booking. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think my mindset, Martin, has always remained the same whenever I think about my career. It it's always about getting better at the craft of doing product, and it's and then I find the company that can help me do that. Right? It's it's or, or whatever is the next challenge. Right? I mean. After obviously, you know, eight, nine years of doing product, now I see something else as the next challenge. But when I was in Gojek, uh, I wanted a bit of more international product exposure because with Gojek, it was mostly in the Southeast Asian market. And that's where the, now I better appreciate the product managers that are working in that part of the world versus in Europe or versus US because the kind of problems that they're trying to solve in the kind of environment they have are very different, right? Although sometimes, you know, it's very easy to put the same color on all product managers, uh, no matter what part of the world they're coming from. But I actually can appreciate how different product management is. Uh, and a lot of product management, product management, you know, uh, you can say uh, schools of thought come from the Western world but they don't apply directly uh, to some of the problems that are being faced in the other parts of the world. Now now I can say that confidently. In what uh, super interests me. Yeah, I, so let me take a couple of examples, right? So one, there are, you know, if you think about a common person's problems, I put it as level one and level two problems. Level one problem is uh, you want to get your food delivered faster is the level one problem because all other problems are small. Uh, you know you will get your food. Uh, you know you will get what you want. Now you just want to get it faster. You want to get it in 10 minutes or 15 minutes, right? Uh, I call it a, as a level one problem because your basic fundamental problems are solved and now you want more optimization. But that's not the kind of problem that are being faced in uh, in a lot of countries across the globe, right? So South America, Africa, South Asia. The problem is itself uh, first creating an ecosystem of supply and demand where uh, you know the food delivery is of highest quality food delivery is in a decent amount of time 30 minutes 35 minutes uh, food food delivery is hygienic uh, uh, there is obviously what do you do if, uh, if if a food delivery guy is stuck in a traffic jam which is so common uh, in some, some of the most crowded uh, countries and these are the kind of problems you don't think a lot uh, in other parts of the world. So I call it level two, level two kind of problems, right? Where the fundamentals are still being figured out. And then uh, level one problem is after you've figured out the problem, then you optimize it enough. So, and hence, there's a bit of a hustle uh, culture or more experimentation uh, than the rest of the world happening in India, in Singapore, in Indonesia where you try out a few things and then see how it goes rather than putting so much effort into planning, just launching the perfect or near perfect thing in the rest part of the world that I've seen. Uh, so you can experiment, you can, you can, uh, you know, try out uh, a unique thing and see how it goes. If it doesn't work, then it's a, it's a two way door. You come back and shut it down. You try something else. And it was it was more experimental in in that part of the world versus this part of the world. That's how I would put it. So we are iterating over alleged perfection. Exactly. Yes. Sounds good. And at Booking, you were 
also again working on BNPL yep. products. Yep. Now for yep. me, I mean, obviously by now, pay later product, I mean, it's in the term itself, but how does this, how does the product itself differ in the challenges that go hand in hand with it on mm. a app like Booking or a platform like Booking in comparison to food delivery or any kind mm. of delivery? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very different, right? So when uh, I moved to Booking and by the way, Booking.com, I knew about the company and one of the, I think it does it the best across the globe is it's focus on experimentation. And if you read up on booking.com, that's the number one thing comes culture is the focus on experimentation. On an average, on a daily basis, you know, teams would run thousands of experiments, uh, uh, tell about the success or the failure of the feature, and then you can decide to launch or not. In booking.com, it was completely the opposite binopulator approach to Gojek. In Gojek, uh, it was high frequency transactions. And that's true for any of the food delivery companies across the world, Uber, Uber Eats, Delivery Hero, etc. It's high frequency transactions. People order food multiple times in a month or multiple times in a week. And the order values are small. So you're ordering whatever 20, 30, 40 euros uh, worth of uh, food in a single order. And it's a, it's a perfect platform to offer by now pay later, I feel, because instead of paying four times a week, you would just love to pay at the end of the month once, consolidating all of your bills over a period of month, uh, over the period of month. So that's food delivery, uh, even for, you know, uh, mobility space, uh, Uber and Lyft and Gojek and Grab uh, or Bolt, right? I think buy now, pay later is a great fit because you don't have to worry about paying every single time. But booking.com was so different because you don't travel once or twice a week or four times or five times a month. People use booking.com to plan the big holidays with their family, probably once in three months or so, right? So how do you build a buy now, pay later product with such low frequency of transactions is actually a challenge because you need feedback loop to understand who pays back and who does not. And in faster transactions world, like if you're buying something over a fashion platform and you do not pay back, uh, uh, you know, on time, then it's a feedback to the decision-making model that are you a good payer or not? And should we offer you buy an operator the next time when you buy again something next week? But in booking.com, the feedback loop would come after three months because you had a booked an accommodation. And if you did not pay, then it takes three to four months before you make your next uh, accommodation decision, right? So I don't know the situation, financial situation can change, right? Uh, three, four months is a lot of time for to understand. And and one thing about buy now, pay later I want to share is obviously for consumers, it's a payment method, but for businesses that offer buy now, pay later, it's about the ability to predict whether the customer will pay or not. That's the, that's the core DNA of any buy now, pay later company. That's the decision-making model of how predict, how good you are at predicting that someone would pay back after 14 days or 30 days. So at booking.com, that's, tougher to do at, let's say, Gojek because of the faster feedback loops. And that's why BNPL was so different. Are you struggling to plan your hiring strategy for 2023 in today's market? PCN is here to help. We offer a step-by-step -step consultation to provide tailored solutions to improve your hiring plan. Contact us today by visiting teampcn.com contact us to schedule your consultation and let us help you be ahead of your competition.
Yes, I can imagine. And how do you tackle this at your current employer at Riverty, right? You yep. made the move, you're now very much exposed to my cultural background. I'm working <laughs> for a German company. Yep. Um, you just mentioned it, right? The risk that goes hand in hand with BNPR companies, and that has been the one of the bigger problems of some of the bigger players in the market. Mm. How, how do you approach that risk management? Yeah. So at Riverty, the difference uh, with my previous experiences at Gojek and Booking is that instead of providing a payment method to your own company, you're providing it to other companies and what we call merchants uh, in the BNPL world. At Gojek, I was building Binopulator for the Gojek app. I, at Booking.com, it was Binopulator uh, integrations for Booking.com. So I already know the customer. I already know who the customer is because it's our own customer, right? At Riverty, uh, Riverty being a payments company with that ambition to become the most human-centric fintech, you are servicing merchants or businesses which are not directly associated right so uh you can talk about fashion e-commerce you can talk about mobility you can talk about travel etc and hence to me this is a uh, i i i always see you know this is a perfect level of complexity for me to arrive within the company because i have seen some of these different business models in travel in e-commerce, in uh, super app, mobility, etc., food delivery, and all of that. So at Riverty, the exciting thing is that number one, I get to work with diverse clientele and merchant base that spreads across multiple industries. And hence the risk management is something that we have to figure out and revisit every few months. That what is it, what is the next set of opportunities looking like? And how should we evolve the product management and risk management accordingly? So uh, over the years, Riverty has evolved to service quite well e-commerce players uh, because that's uh, that's been uh, one of the niche for Riverty. And the, the risk models have evolved uh, to service that industry in some of our key markets. But now when we also tackle some of the other industries, that's where now on a case by case opportunity basis we figure out what how should how can we better predict a customer's payment behavior so and there are mul multiple ways to do it uh, from a product and risk perspective it's about using third party data sources uh, that's available in in different countries that's about asking customers about information it's also about whether we can get into a a, a closer relationship with merchants for data exchange to see whether you know we can better predict our customers' uh, payment behavior and loyalty to the brand. So I would say, uh, just to sum it up, at Riverty, it has been uh, a combination of different verticals and industries, and hence the problems keep changing every couple of months. So it, it, it's always exciting because the next vertical, the next industry, the, the, the next merchant is so different from the previous uh, vertical or the merchant we just addressed. Yes, and that seems to be the wet thread throughout your career, right? You started off talking about solving problems and describing how your parents may describe your work. Mm. And uh, now you have a company where you don't build it for one platform only. And yeah. uh, but then I feel like this is not just visible in your, let's call it 
career, but also in what you do on the side, right? You have a very, very interesting um, substack um, called Productify, um, where you basically combine case studies and give product development tips. It has seen quite the um, influx of uh, followers and subscribers. Um, how, how did you get to that idea and how do you find time to write your content? Yes, I think that's a great question because to be honest, that's something I've, I see people asking a lot because we all have busy lives. Uh, and I can say that for myself, it's, it's get, get even more busier with, uh, with, with now, uh, with a very small baby that we just had. So it's always getting busier. Right. And how do you uh, remain consistent at something like, you know, Substack in this case, or whatever you do in terms of content writing, I think for me, the, the reason I started writing was because I was consuming a lot of content. As I told you, right, it's been years I've been consuming product building concepts, product building content, reading books, re hearing podcasts, reading articles. Now, what I was struggling with was if I consume so much content, uh, I need ways to digest it. And for me, uh, it has always been about writing. Even when I was not writing on Substack, I was documenting a lot within the companies I was working for. And I think the people that who have worked with me, they know that Bandhan likes to write a lot, even internally within the companies. I like to put down my thoughts in a descriptive format, in a document format and inform people about what I'm thinking and get their buy-in, etc. So I, I was always this person consuming and writing. Uh, it's just that I was not writing in public. That, that was the only difference. So when I started writing Substack, that was December of 2021 now, right? So about 16 months back, uh, I started putting down my thoughts of all I had consumed over four or five years uh, into these articles that I started publishing. And I would have lost my motivation, but for the fact that after four or five of these writings, I found that there is a consider considerable interest coming from readers and subscribers to keep writing. And that's always the encouragement that you need as, as a content writer. You need audience, right? It's, it's supply and demand. You need audience to consume the content for you to get motivated to write more. So, and it never stopped ever since I've been writing, I've, I've made sure I'm consistent and I'm, and I've always seen growth of subscribers and readers to the Substack platform to productify. Um, so that's on the motivation front. Uh, that's what I would always tell anyone who wants to con write content that write it consistently, even on the worst of the days, you feel you don't want to write anything, write something. That's the best way to, uh, keep getting better. And secondly, how do you find time? I don't think you should probably sit, uh, you know, one day in a week and start writing. You just always need to have it back of your mind. I, whenever I read something interesting, I bookmark it, I write. I put, put it in a draft. So I, I always have a lot of things to write about. So I, I already know that what I can write about next. So because you're always bookmarking and keeping content ready for next thing. So always be in that mindset of what is interesting. What can you put out to the world uh, to get feedback? Always be writing. Bandha, always a wonderful uh, podcast guest. 
for everyone listening in who thinks that this sounds interesting, check out productify.substack.com and subscribe. It's great, not just for people working product management. Let me tell you this as a recruiter, it's super interesting case studies and products you've used and seen and heard of. And yeah, Panda, hope to have you on the podcast one day again. And maybe, what do you think? Will we talk about a new area of expertise or will you always stay with BNPL? I think it's possible. Uh, we'll be talking about product, but could be another area. We never know. So I'm always looking out for interesting problems. Yes. Sounds great. Bangnam, thanks so much. And um, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks, Martin. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of InCheck with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to stay updated with the latest episodes of our podcast.